ask you this morning, have you ever told the Lord that you will do whatever he asks you? That you will go wherever he leads you with no strings attached. That's a scary thing to say, right? That's a scary promise to make because we know that our emotions get involved and we know that sometimes it's hard to discern what God, the Holy Spirit, is telling us to do, right? You ever been there? Is this God telling me this or is this the devil trying to, trying to tempt me away, right? But at the end of the day, if you've never had that moment, and I'm not talking about your salvation moment. I'm talking about as a, as a follower of Jesus where you said, wherever you lead me, I will go. I will follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. My story, and this has nothing to do with the sermon today, but my story is that I was engaged and we were um, living about four hours apart. <clears throat> so a long distance engagement, Sarah and I. And I remember there was a mission team being formed uh, to go to the continent of Africa. And I remember sitting in a service with that mission team being formed, knowing I was moving back to Durham, knowing that I was that the Lord had called me to serve him in ministry. And I remember the Holy Spirit just tapping on my heart and saying, are you willing to go to Africa? Are you willing to go to Africa? And I remember the craziness of that moment of saying, okay, my fiance is not here for me to be like, hey, the Holy Spirit's saying this to me right now. What do you think about that? I remember walking to one of the representatives and giving them my name and my information as a sign of surrender. Obviously, um, it never came to fruition. But I've told people this many times, I do not believe that God would have me at peace in our season of ministry that we're in had I not been willing to go anywhere at any time, wherever he leads me. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you're here today and you've never taken that step of just, I will go, I will go, man, that's, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. I don't know about you. Last Sunday, we had our missions day and man, it was an incredible Sunday. Pastor Ken brought a great uh, sermon to us last Sunday morning. Um, and then last Sunday night was just wonderful, um, I will say this, if you have told God that I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything, when you have a Sunday like last Sunday, there should be a tug of like, oh God, like there's so much work to be done around the globe in missions, like, you know, what, what do you want me to do? And, and so that's the way it is for me every time we have a global missions theme, every time we have someone in that's planting a church or that's, that's serving in, in uh, somewhere globally doing the Lord's work. There was a really, really cool moment that happened last Sunday night. I will say this. I had uh, a couple of different people tell me Sunday night. The only thing they wish, and I'll just tell you this, is that more people would have been there last Sunday night to kind of see some of the things that happened. But one of the main things that happened last Sunday night, we had six missions partners here 
And while Tim, who's uh, out of town this weekend, while Tim was up, he was sharing about Prison Alliance, which is the nonprofit that Tim serves at. <clears throat> he was sharing about how they do ministry and how they are in uh, the prisons and how they are correspondents of, you know, leading people to Christ and then discipling them through like all these different pathways that they have. He was explaining it to them. And so my good friend, Pastor Ken, who preached last Sunday is sitting right over there and he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. This guy, Roger, in our church, um, he, he was saved in prison. And I'll just let him know that I'm, you know, hey, Roger, like, really cool, man. There's a prison ministry here at this missions thing that I'm at. And I just thought about you. I know you were saved in prison. So Roger responds, what's the name of the organization? And Ken says, well, it's Prison Alliance, but it used to be CLI. They've, re, they've kind of renamed their thing. And Roger responded back and said, CLI is the organization that led me to Christ and that discipled me while I was in prison. And so in this moment, so Tim sits down, Ken stands up and goes, hey, Tim, I need to tell you something. And he, right in that moment, shared with him that Tim's prison ministry, he now runs, was responsible for leading a man to Christ in New York State at a, at a prison in New York somewhere. And he's now serving in the Bronx at Victory Baptist Church. Things like that, folks, you can't, like, that was an incredible moment. Like, we clapped, and it was just like an incredible time. You can't uh, put a, a price on those things. And so I'm thankful for the way we do missions globally at our church. I'm, I'm thankful for what we do locally as well. But I was really encouraged last week to hear what God is doing. And so I want to encourage you to stay connected with our missionaries through social media, um, signing up for their um, e-newsletters. Uh, Chris McCurdy is going to help us. We're doing... We're going to be doing some missions updates in our service on Sundays uh, about once every quarter. We've got three of those uh, scheduled for the remainder of the year. And we want to keep Global Missions better in front of you so that we can continue to have an impact, not just here in Durham, but across our state, across our country, and then globally. We are in week number nine of our study in the book of Galatians. We are about halfway through. Um, so six chapters, we're finishing up chapter three today and the title of today's sermon is the unified family and we're going to get there we're going to get to the unified family at the end um but we're going to go down a familiar path to get there and that familiar path is this paul making sure that the theology and the doctrine of the galatian churches was proper and you say josh it seems like that's become like a theme. And I would say you're right. It has become a theme. And I would say this this morning. This week I took a step back from the book of Galatians and I tried to think about all of the letters that Paul wrote that were canonized in scripture that we have before us. And may I say this this morning? The vast majority of Paul's letters was trying to teach good, proper doctrine and theology to the churches that he had planted. It must have been a very serious thing to the Apostle Paul. It must have been a very serious matter concerning the new believers in the churches that had been planted. And I find it ironic that the vast majority of his letters was teaching doctrine. And so I say that because our church is comprised of people from all different backgrounds, all different church backgrounds. We have people in our church that grew up in like a traditional Baptist church. 
And so they have traditional Baptist doctrine and theology. We have people in our church that grew up in a more of a non-denominational uh, church where you really don't know um, what the, the, the like underwriting uh, doctrinal foundation is in some of those until you ask. Uh, like, for instance, a lot of churches here in Durham that don't have, like us, Keystone Church, we have kind of a Baptistic foundation of our doctrine. I was raised Baptist, and for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, kind of follow uh, that kind of teaching. Well, there are plenty of churches in Durham that have just whatever church, and you got to dig, but you can find out kind of denominationally, if you dig deep enough, kind of where, what kind of church they really are, right? So... It's a little trick we do, you know. We want you to just come and, and try us out before we show all of our cards. Um, but all that to say, in our church, we have people from Pentecostal uh, church backgrounds. Uh, we have Pentecostal holiness, and all different. There's all different types of Pentecostal. We have people from uh, from Catholic church backgrounds that were raised in the Catholic church. We have people from Presbyterian backgrounds. We have all different types of people. And may I say this this morning? We are not trying to be a a Baptistic church. We're not trying to be a Nazarene church. We're not trying to be a Catholic church. We're not trying to be a Presbyterian church this morning. You know what we, we want to be? We want to be a biblical church, right? And I want to take this book right here, and I want to properly and in context read this, interpret this, and preach this book biblically. And I'll be straight up honest with you. If that steps on your fill-in-the-blank toes, and so be it. If, if we preach the Bible here and it steps on my Baptist toes, so be it. They need to get stepped on. If we preach a certain way here and it steps on your, your Pentecostal toes, that's okay. They need to get stepped on. I'm surprised your toes were hitting the ground. I thought you'd be jumping around. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, let's be real. Every Baptist needs, every Presbyterian needs a little Pentecostal in them, right? I mean, every Pentecostal needs a little Presbyterian in them probably too. But oh no, that just stepped on my little Catholic heart. Oh, it's okay. Step all over my heart and step all over my toes, right? As long as it's the Bible and the Holy Spirit stepping all over my heart and step all over my toes. And so I wanted to, to introduce the sermon that way because we are once again today going to talk about how Paul was attacking, I say it that way, attacking the law, but bringing forth the gospel. And so you might say, Josh, this is getting old. Well, it's not getting old. Because it was repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated in the New Testament. And so if Paul needed to literally address this with every church that he communicated with, then I believe we can always use the reminder. Okay, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to begin in verse 15 and we're going to read all, uh, all the remaining verses of this chapter down to verse 29. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Follow this. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. To Abraham's seed. He says, and to your seed, who is Christ. That's, that's, that's a big deal we're going to get to. Verse 17. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. I don't have, I don't have time this morning to go through this, but 
the promise that was given to Abraham was given before the law was given. Okay, so like, anyway, we'll get there. This will all come together. But all, all that to say, the law in Exodus chapter 20, when the law came, what happened prior to that, it's very important that we understand that pre-law and then what happened post-law and now as, as the grace of Jesus has been wrought in us. But we'll get there. Don't be confused. For verse 18, if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what purpose then does the law serve? We're about to hear it. You guys ready? It was added because of transgressions, because of sin. Till the seed, we've already learned who's the seed. Jesus. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If there was a way to earn a, a righteous standing, certainly we would have figured it out. Okay, If we could be good enough, we would have figured out how to be good enough. But the scripture has confined all under sin. There's the problem, right? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor. I'm not sure what version you happen to be looking at. It may say schoolmaster, teacher, to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor or under a teacher. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. If you've been in this series, you understand that's a major statement to make. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Holy Spirit, enlighten your word today. May we truly grasp this text. Amen. I want us to see, first of all, we're going to jump right in. Man, there's a lot there. If this was a theology class this morning, which it's not going to be, if this was a theology class this morning, there would be a lot of little like potential rabbit trails that we could really go down and really dive into. Okay, well, what does that mean? Let's look back at this. Let's look forward to that. This morning, I want to keep it to where we have a practical application. Okay, and my goal today is that we leave here knowing what we learned, but also what do we want to do, you know, as a result of that. And so, number one, I want us to see this. The promise of a Savior. The promise of a Savior. In our text this morning, in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 15, we hear of uh, the seed, the seed of Abraham. Look at verse 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's not only a man's covenant, yet if, it, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. To Abraham, verse 16, and his seed were the promises of Made. He does not say to seeds as of many, but he says it as of one, to your seed who is Christ. 
The law was 430 years later after that promise cannot annul that promise, that covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. That it should make the promise of no effect. The law did not come and take away the promise that was given to Abraham. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. This promise to Abraham is found a couple of different times where God addresses Abraham in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 12, chapter 17, again in chapter 28. But I'll give you a kind of a synopsis from Genesis 28 of like what this promise to Abraham was. I think we need to know that to kind of understand what we're going to learn this morning. Verse 13 and 14 in Genesis chapter 28, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was an extension of the promise to Abraham. That was found in Genesis chapter 12. That was found in Genesis chapter 17. It was basically that you will be a blessed people. You will be my people, God says. And so think about this in light of who we're talking to. We're talking to the church at Galatia, and we're talking to people that were both Jews and to people that were Gentiles, that were not Jews. So this is important because Paul says there was a promise given to Abraham that his people would be blessed by God. And this seed of Abraham, this is what we're learning, and I'm sorry if this is digging a little bit deep, but that's okay. We need to dig a little bit deep sometimes. The seed of Abraham was not a national seed of bloodline. That's not what it was. It was not a, nat- a national bloodline seed. It was a spiritual seed according to Christ. Okay, now, there was a bloodline trace from Moses to Christ. I'm sorry, from Abraham to Christ. But that promise was not given to the bloodline. That promise was given to Christ. And so Christ was the seed of Abraham. And may I just say this morning... The promise of a Savior is this. If Christ is the seed of Abraham, his people will be blessed. His people will uh, will inhabit the earth. Then those who have believed on the name of Jesus Christ are the seed of Abraham. And those blessings Aaron spoke about today as he was leading worship, not, not necessarily financial blessings, but that blessing of knowing that you're in the presence of God and knowing that God is real and he's leading in your life and your relationship with him is real that presence goes before you and that's a part of your life today because of the promise made to Abraham 430 years before the law and it was fulfilled in one man Christ the seed and then you and I have partaken in his grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ and so that promise given thousands of years ago Rest upon you and I if you have believed on Jesus and Jesus alone. Folks, you might say, okay, that's great, Josh. Listen, I, I like connecting the dots of Scripture. I love that when we connect like Genesis to Galatians. I think that's good. We, we, really what we're doing there is we're con- connecting Genesis to the Gospels to Galatians. But it's important to know that. All the blessings that we've been given as believers in Jesus were promised thousands of years ago before the law was ever given to Abraham. So we see 
the promise of a Savior. Secondly, this morning, and we're moving right along, I want us to see this. The purpose of the law. It is given right here in this text. Well, Josh, if that promise was given to Abraham before the law, and Jesus was the seed that was promised, why the law? Right? Why do we need the law? Look at verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? Why do we need it? Well, it was added because of transgressions. Once again, we get to heaven. Thank Eve. Or maybe Adam. I'm going to thank Eve. So the seed, so it was added because of sin. Till the seed should come, Jesus, to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Let's go down to verse 21, middle of verse 21. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly righteousness would have been by the law, but the scripture has confined all under sin. We're all sinners. That the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those only who believe. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Because people have known me my entire life, I won't get too specific, but I don't know if you've ever had a teacher that, like, fits the profile of, like, the stereotypical old, mean, bad breath, angry teacher. Anybody else? Raise your hand. All right. I taught several of you in here. How many of you say that was you when you were a teacher? Okay. I didn't teach you, Dave. You're 40 years older than me. I'm just kidding. That man, I'd be like, you're 80, bro. You look good for 80. You look good for 80, man. It's because you shaved your head. When you shave your head, you have no idea if you're 20 or 70. It's great. No. Anybody have that teacher in your mind? Can you picture that teacher? Like I said, I've got to be a little incognito because a lot of people have known me for a long time. And I, if I share too much information, they might be like, I know who you're talking about. Anyway, we had that teacher, right? And it's like, that's the teacher that it doesn't matter, you know, sometimes how hard you try, you still get in trouble. I remember for me, that was the teacher, had bad breath. It was also the teacher that when I was in this person's class, I felt like this person was already, like, at retirement age. And, like, 30 years later, they're still not at retirement age, evidently. Like, I'm like... Dang, how old are you? But you see it, right? The, the glasses, and the glasses are pulled down a little bit, and they got the ruler, and they're like, they're like ready. Okay, that's the law. You know what that teacher was there for me? To tell me everything I did wrong. That's what it felt like, right? You've been there? Yeah, you did your best, but your best isn't good enough, bro. Like, you still, got, you still made a D on this quiz. Or like, hey, good, good try, man, but you didn't follow the directions properly. Or my favorite, hey, man, you did great. You didn't miss a problem on here, but it says at the top, use pencil, not pen. You use pen, you get a zero. Anyway, I didn't slap, slap, but I wanted to. As a kid, not as an adult. A teacher. And what does that teacher do? That teacher points out the wrong. That stereotypical teacher. Now, the good teachers are inspirational 
And I look back on those teachers and I'm like, man, awesome. Like, teachers can flip the script very easily. That's what I think of when I think of the law. I think of, like, the taskmaster that gave all the homework. It's like they knew I liked sports. And they're like, I know there's a lot of sports going on tonight or this weekend, and so I want to give you extra homework so that you can't do the things that you want to do. By the way, here, here I stand as a parent against homework, all right? But that's the law. What does the Bible say? The law was given as a tutor. The law was given as a ruler. The law was given to say, Randall, you can try as hard as you want to, and you're still not going to pan out. You can try as, as hard as you want to, Pedro, you can do your best, but at the end of the day, you're going to fall short. Kathy, you're going to give it your all. And you might say, man, I'm doing this and that. But at the end of the day, the law is there to teach us that we can't keep it. I mean, let's be honest. The Ten Commandments were given. We can't keep those ten, much less all of the other laws that were given in the Old Testament. And so the law was given so that we might understand our need of a Savior. And the law was given to tell us that we can't measure up. And may I say this this morning? Before we can understand the good news of the gospel, we have to understand the bad news of the gospel. Does that make sense this morning? What's the bad news of the gospel? The bad news of the gospel is that you and I, as we are in our flesh, cannot obtain the grace of God. We cannot do it. So in order for the gospel to be good news this morning, we have to understand the law, and that is that we are not good enough. That we in our sin and our flesh cannot live up to the standard that God set. The law was given to prove to our prideful, fleshly selves that we are not good enough. And I'll be honest with you this morning, as I interact with people throughout our community, throughout our city, probably the saddest people that I interact with are those who think that they're doing good enough to get there. I'm doing good enough to make it. And man, I do this and I do that, and surely God will see that and will honor that one day. And those people are the saddest people because they're such good people that have such good hearts that want to do such good, but they're missing the gospel. They're missing the humility that comes with, I'm not good enough. Jesus, you are the only one who was. That takes us to my final point this morning and a point, a place where I want to spend just a little bit of time, if I may. So this morning we have seen, just very quickly, we've seen the promise of a Savior. We've seen the purpose of the law. I want us to see thirdly, and I, I'm sticking with it. Call me typical pastor today. The proclamation of adoption. Three Ps, all right? Three Ps. The proclamation of adoption. You see, we were all under the law. That tutor, that teacher with their glasses down and our ruler out to just tell us that we were not good enough. That no matter how hard we tried, we would always fail. That's the law. 
But Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says this, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Remember when you're speaking to the Jews, their history was riddled with slavery. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise that was given to Abraham that we spoke about. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you this morning, you are an heir to that promise. We have been adopted uniquely into the family of God. I'm doing this off the cuff. I've not planted anybody in here. I will not ask you to share any of your story this morning. But I wonder if anybody um, was a product of adoption. You were adopted um, into your family. Anybody be willing to raise your hand in that? Okay, we have one, two. Okay, at least two. May I say this? There's something uniquely special about adoption, right? I want to I be careful this morning, but I want you to understand this. We've been adopted into God's family. <clears throat> we have two children. I love both of my girls. They're serving this morning in, in kids in the preschool with my wife. I love our girls. But truthfully, I had no choice in the matter. God gave us those children when he did, and they're mine. At the end of the day, it's like, that is your responsibility to be a father. That's my wife's responsibility to be their mother. And now I understand in different scenarios, you know, God may or may not do that, and that's where I'm getting to. So in the case of adoption, sometimes uh, it is with families who cannot have children for whatever reason. Other times, it's from families who have other children, and they adopt. But you know what I love about adoption? You know what's beautiful about adoption? Is that the oftentimes the adopting family already knows things about that child. And they're willing to take them in. I don't know all adoption stories. But I know oftentimes mothers who are addicted to drugs will give their children up for adoption. I don't, I don't know all the stories. But I know that, that families oftentimes will know the risks of that child and they choose to take that child. As those who may adopt older in life, uh, maybe a kid is in you know, uh, junior age or maybe even a teenager, those children have already established good and bad habits and they already have personality Positives and negatives. And for a family, a mother and or father to step in and choose them. I think about that in the spiritual sense and I think about it this way. As a child of God, it didn't just happen to God. God knew me. God knew my flaws. God knew my sin. God knew my pride. God knew my anger. 
God knew everything about me, past, present, and future, because he exists in no time. And yet I'm his child. I was adopted into his family. To me, that's incredible. May I say this to parents? If you have adopted or you're ever considering adoption, I don't believe there is a higher calling on this earth. I think it's incredible. We were adopted. And that carries with it the connotation and understanding that God knew every intricate detail about us and he called us into his family. Notice that we are all members of the same family, the family of God. Notice that in light of the family of God, in light of us being sons and daughters of God this morning, it matters not our gender, it matters not our social status, it matters not our ethnicity. He says there's neither male nor female. He said there's neither slave nor free. He said there's neither Jew nor Greek. And by the way, let me just clarify that. That does not mean that those uh, things like social status, ethnicity, and gender are no longer realities. Those are realities. But in light of our position in Christ, in light of our position as a child of God in God's family, those things serve little importance. I'm not saying this morning that when you're in, a fam- in the family of God, there's neither slave nor free, meaning there's neither boss There's either employee, no employer, or no, no, no. Those are realities. You can be an employer or an employee or a mixture of of both. I'm not saying there's either male nor female. No, 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 we know that. God created us that way. There are strengths and weaknesses of both. A whole lot more weaknesses on the male side, let's be honest. We know that just because we're in Christ does not mean that we all are of the same ethnicity. We understand that we still have those realities But the point that's being made here is those things don't matter in the family of God because we are all one as children of God. That's why, and I know we kind of poke fun at it sometimes, but that's why John is my brother and Kristen is my sister. You know why? Because we're in the family of God. That's why if I can't remember your name, I might roll out a, what's up, brother? Because I forgot your name. Little trick I got. I usually don't do the sister thing to a woman, but you know, there are people that do. No, we're family. And I want to practically bring this down to our church level this morning. And I believe that maybe I've gone too long without tapping in on this a little bit. Who walks through that door, these doors? It matters not their social status this morning. It matters not whether that bank account looks great or that bank account looks non-existent. Some of y'all whose bank account bank accounts look great, but I hope you got the, your money in the right bank. If you're following anything going on in our country, you know me because it was two hundred fifty thousand. So I've got like seven different banks that I've got mine in to keep mine below two fifty 
250,000 a piece. So y'all know me. Just kidding. I keep it at like 240 and like seven banks. Um, so that my, yeah, anyway. If y'all believe that, y'all crazy. Now listen, we're a family. Whoever walks through that door, hurting. Whoever walks through that door, a mess. Whoever walks through that door that doesn't look the part. Whoever walks through that door that's different than you. Whoever walks through that door that doesn't view things the exact same way that you view them. Listen, if they name the name of Jesus, they're family. They're family. Hey, listen. Let's be honest. Every family's got, y'all all got crazy uncles. Every single one of y'all got a crazy uncle. Some of y'all are the crazy uncle, probably. <laughs> it, Chris, if you're the crazy uncle, man, I don't even know. Like the most chill, crazy uncle I've ever met in my life. Now listen, not everybody's the same. But everybody's family. Listen, everybody that walks through that door on a Sunday, it matters not if they're Jew or if they're Greek or Gentile. You know what? You know how we can apply that? It matters not, not if they grew up in church and have a kind of a system of belief already or whether they're green and they have no idea about this thing called church. They're trying to figure it out. It doesn't matter if they've believed, been a believer and follower of Jesus as a kid and they're looking for a new church or if they've never believed on Christ and they claim another religion and they're coming here to ask questions. Listen, the family, the family, we are family. You can start singing whatever song you like to sing at this point. We'll come up and lead it at, at the end. I'm just kidding. We won't. But let me just say this this morning. As God continues to send us people, we have a, a, a new attenders class today. We have a great number of people that are sticking around for that. As God continues to send us new people, God have mercy on us. If we don't see those people as brothers and sisters, if we don't see those people as family, and you know what family does? Family hurts together. Family rejoices together. Family weeps together. Families laugh together. Hey, listen, I'll just say this. We've been in existence now for coming up on six years. Sometimes families have a little squabble here and there. I tell you what. Pastor Aaron and I have talked about this before. If you dive in and serve, and you give your all serving your church, guess what? Every now and then, you're going to have a little bit of a disagreement with somebody. Just the way it is. If you don't want to have a disagreement with anybody, don't get involved. That's family. And so I want to encourage us this morning. In light of this text, Paul is telling the Galatian Christians, stop looking at social status. Stop looking at ethnicity. Stop looking at all these outward things and realize that's your brother or that's your sister. We are children of God. And at Keystone Church, we have people in our church that are well, well, well off and God has blessed them financially. We have people in our church who are struggling to make that bill they know that's due tomorrow because it's the first of the month and they're like, Lord have mercy. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. We have people in our church that 
that have a good, very, very deep grasp of Scripture, and they understand what they believe theologically, and they're very grounded in God's Word, and the Spirit has given them uh, some guidance and, and, and those types of things. And we have other people that are very green and trying to figure this whole thing out. We're family. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. And so we treat each other, if you have a good family dynamic, we treat each other as such. If you hate your brother, don't be treating everybody here like that. But we treat each other as if we're a healthy family. And I will say this, if you're here today, and maybe your physical family, you don't even know what it feels like to have a healthy family. If you're here today, and God forbid, but maybe you're in a situation where you haven't spoken to so-and-so for X amount of months or years or whatever it may be, May I say this this morning? We want to create an environment here where you can get a glimpse of what that spiritual family ought to be like. Not every family is perfect, and this, this church family will not be. The family of God will not be. We will one day, but we won't be on this earth. But a healthy family environment means this. When Cody is hurting, Cody's lost two grandparents about two months ago, probably within a two-week period of time. When Cody's hurting, I'm hurting. Okay? A year and a half ago, Reed and Debbie had their first grandchild. When Reed and Debbie are rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. Corey and Courtney, newlyweds, by the way, can we congratulate them? When they're celebrating, we're celebrating. That's family. When families hurt, we hurt. When families celebrate, we celebrate. When families weep, we weep as a family. And so this morning, that's the practical application that I want to give you from our text today. Yes, we stood hard on the theology. Yes, we talked about the purpose of the law this morning and what Jesus came and brought us from. But what he did was he adopted us into a family. And if you are not a part of a church family, a local body of believers and a family, you don't get that family spirit. Man, I want to encourage you, if we're not the place for you, find a place where you can really dive in and be a part of the family. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.